On The Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. We're getting ready to uh, launch more into this whole uh, iceberg spirituality. We are reading emotionally healthy spirituality. We're reading a book together. Uh, I am not dealing with the things, well, I'm kind of dealing with the things in the book, but I'm not teaching from the book. So this is on you. Uh, this is on me. So uh, I encourage you, if you don't have the book, I encourage you to get it, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, and so we are learning together that it is impossible to separate emotional health and spiritual maturity. They are inseparable. Uh, we cannot say that we are spiritually mature, but emotionally immature. The, those things directly impact one another. We are engaging this transformation uh, of the hidden places deep beneath the surface of our lives. Everybody, we, we can pretty much please you. I can put something out that will please you, something you can see, but you don't get to see what's underneath, in, uh, the underneath of my lives. And we're doing that by going into those hidden places, all those hidden places with God. Take God along the journey and go, hey, would you check this out? Because I don't know what that is. It just seems like a mass of something, right? Today, I want to look at Joseph in the Old Testament. So open up your Bibles, turn on your app, open up your app, turn on your Bible. I don't know what you're going to be doing there. Genesis chapter 50, please, way in the beginning of our Bible. The book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 50, um, I want to talk to you about Joseph now. Keep in mind, this is Joseph in the Old Testament, not Joseph in the New Testament. It always gets confusing for me. It's like, which Joseph are we talking about, right? This is Joseph in the Old Testament, right? There's a great story that, that starts here in Genesis 37. It's about Joseph, and it's just his, his story, what happened to him. But in Genesis chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 Watch, watch what happens here. I'm, I'm going to start reading in verse 14, but I'm going to point you to verse 20. Here we go. Watch this. Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 14. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt, right? He returns to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. And now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers, we'll get there, don't worry, were, uh, became very fearful. Joseph will show his anger. He's going to pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him. And I'll get to that here in a minute. I'm just showing you the, the end of the story here for all the stuff that we did to him. So they sent this message over to Joseph. Hey, uh, you know, before your father died, let me just remind you what your father said, right? Before your father died, we, we, I want to remind you here. He instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you. Don't forget what dad said. For, for their sin, treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received this message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we're, we're your slaves. We'll be your slaves. Anybody remember that one from Luke chapter 15? Just take me back. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. The son has blown all the inheritance. He comes back to the father. Hey, I'll, I'll just be a slave. Let me be a slave in your house. Coming back right here. He says, let us be your slaves. Verse 19, Joseph replies, don't be afraid of me. Am I God? Whew. That I can punish you? 
I think a lot of us tend to reverse this little, little sentence here. You need to be afraid of me. I am God and I will punish you for what you did to me. Watch this now. Verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. If I had to summarize the whole Bible, it's that verse. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And you can find it every page. Go ahead and look for it. Things are going on to me. Things are being done to me. Things I do to myself. Intended for harm, but God has good intentions to bless his people. See, God puts us into families. It's part of what it means to be made in God's image. Everybody's got parents. Everybody has a mother. Everybody has a father. What that relationship looks like, we'll discover a little bit more today. But we're all part of a family. We're created in God's image to do what God does. And that's to experience love. And that's a hard one. Learning how to love and how to be loved. We come into the world with this intense uh, hunger for stable and tender and yet strengthening relationships. We are pre-wired. Every single one of us is pre-wired. It's in our DNA. We're pre-wired. What I talked about this last week was five basic needs. So if you got your app open, I'm going to fill them in this morning. Five basic needs for healthy development. If we're going to be healthy, we need these five basic needs met. And it's ideally met by our biological mothers and fathers. That's the way it was designed. But many things are used not the way they were designed. People using screwdrivers as hammers. My son used to grab my screwdrivers and try and scrape things off, and my screwdrivers would be all, no, here's your set of screwdrivers now. You want to use a screwdriver like a hammer? You can. You want to use a screwdriver like a, like a, a shovel? You can. But just don't use my screwdrivers that way, right? We're, we're always using things the way they weren't supposed to be used. Here's these five basic needs. The first one is the need for belonging. Fill this one in, the need for belonging. It's coming into the world, listen to me now, that is primed for our arrival. There is a nest that's been created. A mother and a father are going, oh, we're, we're painting a room. We're bringing in a crib. We are, we are cleaning this, this up. We're new carpet. Whatever it is, we, we begin prepping for a child. It happens in our parents' dreams. It's supposed to happen in their dreams, their, their, their hearts, their thoughts. And they begin to prep a nest for an arrival of you and I. That's, this is the way it's designed. The, these basic needs are all of ours, and they're supposed to be met by our biological parents. Here's the second one, the need for nurturing. The need for nurturing, it's, it's the appreciation, the affection, the touch, the being listened to, the being held and cherished at every stage of development. And for many people, all of a sudden, we're two years old, and that cherishing stops because a divorce happens. We're 13 years old and that attention ceases because dad has left the family because mom decided she wanted to do something else. And what's supposed to be happening, this nurturing that's supposed to happen at every stage of our life falls apart. Some of you experienced parents who got divorced after they were married for 20 years. Why now? We were just waiting for you guys to grow up. You don't think this is going to affect me right now? You guys just choose to throw it all away? Yep, that's what we're doing. Whew. 
Here's another one, the need for support. It's a, it's a, a caring and loving environment. It's a place of encouragement where, where a young person, a child, a small child, elementary, preteen, right, teenager, young adult, hears, hey, we got your back. We are for, we are for you. We are with you. Here's another one, the need for protection. You guys catching these needs? They make sense to you? Like, yep, needed that one, didn't happen in my house. Needed that one? Woo, the opposite of that one happened in my house. These are the five basic needs, this protection. Protection from physical, mental, emotional, sexual harm. Our parents are supposed to protect us from those things. And then lastly, the need for limits. I know most people go, I don't need any boundaries. Boundaries? I hate boundaries. No, we love boundaries. We especially like other people to have boundaries. But listen, those people's boundaries are my boundaries. Oh, if they have boundaries, I have a a place. We need boundaries, and without them, I believe there is just nothing but self-centeredness. And you can see that happening all over our culture today the lack of boundaries, and they go, well, then we're going to do anything. You're like, I don't think that's a good idea because it's boundaryless. We we no longer have boundaries. We can do whatever we want. Mm, I don't think that's going to end well. I'm going to stay over here. Watch this. In my boundaries, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to get into that stuff because I don't think that's going to be healthy. See, the problem is, with these, these things that we're talking about. The problem is sin entered into the world. Way back here, Genesis chapter 3, just flip it to the left a little bit, right? And you find sin enters into the human race, and that's the moment that families became troubled. Families get, get become broken and distorted from God's original intention. Again, the five basic needs are God's original intention, ideally met by a mother and a father. But in our world today, we're watching single moms. We're watching the ideal no longer exists. In fact, if you do the the study of history, the first murder is one brother killing his brother. Talk about funky families. That's the first murder in the first generation of family. Now, today, we have criticism We have abuse of authority, lying, emotional withholding. These are our families breaking promises, intimidation, blaming, denying, secrets, manipulation, shaming, put-downs. Even in the best families, there is sin, and therefore there is brokenness. That's just a fact. But how do we navigate it? That's what I'm hoping to dig into this morning. Because nobody emerges from their family of origin with their true self unscathed. Nobody comes out without wounds and scars. For all of us, when we come to Jesus, when we become a Christian, a follower of Christ, we're born again. And so we are adopted into his family. We have a new father. And I'm no longer looking at my dad for the standard in my life. I'm no longer looking to my dad. I'm no longer looking to my mom going, oh, there's something different here. I have a new DNA because there's new blood. There's new blood figuratively running through me. There's a new me. There's a new you. There's a new him. There's a new her. When we decide 
that we are Christians. It's no longer Marty Walker. It's Christian. I'm a follower. The problem is our unprocessed and unbiblical ways of being are often lodged in our bodies and our brains. And so now we have to unlearn the old ways, how we do relationships. This is the way my father did it to me, so I'm doing it to you. Even though it hurt me, even though that rejection, that abandonment, that betrayal wounded me, and even thinking about it makes me go, but I'm going to do it to you. How many of us have said this? I'm not going to be like my mom. I refuse to be like my dad, and then we do it. What I want to explore today is that we can break free of that stuff. There's a beautiful way to break free of that. We are called to be transformed to our new and authentic self. And this is what it means to be an apprentice. I'm going to learn how he did it. Jesus, we're an apprentice. Disciples, that's what the Bible would call them. I I call us apprentices, right? How did he do that? I'm going to do like he did it. That's what an apprentice does. Here's how you put this thing together. Oh, I'm going to put it together, okay, like this, like this. And so I'm constantly reading, Jesus, how did you do it? How did he relate to his brothers when his brother, his brother and his mother come in. He's in the middle of powerful ministry stuff. His brothers and his mom come in and go, um, he's out of his mind. Would you please send him out? Total rejection. And Mary, of all people, who pondered these things in her heart, goes, he's out of his mind. No, he's the Messiah. How did he navigate those family structures? How did he navigate when James the writer way back here, that's Jesus' little brother, when James is completely rejecting the ministry of Jesus. It wasn't until after Jesus died and rose again that James became an apprentice. James was not one of his followers. James was going, "Uh, I don't know where that's going. My older brother, (laughs) the firstborn, you know how the firstborn are. I always like to imagine, by the way, that, that family situation. Why can't you be more like your brother? Oh. We're called to be transformed. We're called, listen to me, we are blessed to be a blessing. That's, again, it's the story of the Bible, and that's what we're doing. God's put us all here for a reason, but we're going to need to go back in order to go forward, and that's where this comes in. That was the reading this week. In fact, uh, I, I just want to share with you some of my reading. Uh, Let me pull it here. And and I don't know about you, I I love to just mark up my books. I've got notes all over. I write in the margins. I want to remember this stuff because I think that there's an open book test. And if it's an open book test, I want to know where I need to find the answers. And I mark up my Bibles. I, I get a new Bible every two years. I get rid of my Bible with all of its notes, with all of its highlights. I write all the notes down, put them into a Word doc, and then get rid of my Bible, and I start over again because I want to learn. I want to become new. I don't want to review. It's, a, it's at the top right-hand page. It's right at the top. There it is. It's in yellow. I remember. Here it is. Anybody tend to do that with your reading? That's me. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Okay, so watch this. This, this is what I read this week. 
I truly believe the greatest gift we can give to the world is our true self living in loving union with God. In fact, how can we affirm other people's unique identities when we don't affirm our own? Can we really love our neighbor without loving ourselves well? I can't even love me. I struggle with self-hatred. How am I supposed to love you? And so God comes in and goes, hey, I'm crazy about you. I want you to know, I truly believe this, he loves me more than he loves you. Every day I go, here I am. He goes, I've been waiting for you to wake up. Let's go play. What can we do today? I don't know. That's what's going on with this iceberg, though. We've got to move back in order to move forward. This iceberg is a problem in our lives because we present one thing, but the majority of what we are is this hidden, uh, and often a problem. We all know the story, the Titanic didn't sink because of what, it's, what hit it on the top. It sank because of what was underneath. And how many people come and brush up alongside of us, never even saw it coming, and we just rip a hole in the side of them? We just rip a gaping hole. And again, <laughs> it's not because of the water on the outside. It's the water on the inside that sinks the ship. And we sink a relationship. We destroy this relationship. We just, <laughs> and all with a smile on our face. <laughs> we just tear a hole inside of them. They're like, what just happened? This iceberg issue is huge. 10% of what's going on is what people are really encountering with us. Most of us, most of us suspect something about that 90%. I know it's something deep, but we've not even explored how deep it goes. We've not explored how deep the hurt, where does that come from? We have no idea how to find out. But that's what we're going to look at today and this week. So our, our living well with God depends on us understanding what's going on beneath the surface. We've got to understand what's going on beneath the surface of our everyday, here it is, our family events. So here's the definition of genogram. I want you to catch this. I'm going to deal with this this Thursday. It's a graphic representation of the personalities and interplay of the generations within a family. It's used to identify repetitive patterns of behavior, psychological family tree. So that's the first part of what we're talking about this week. We're We're going to go through, we're going to look at our family tree. But then the big part and that's this Thursday night, right? Here's, here's mine. This is, this is what mine looks like. So I've done my family tree. But then on top of it, I go, okay, here's what happened in early childhood. This is elementary school, junior high, high school, young adulthood. And I just mark it out. This is the first years of ministry. And, and, I, and I mark it out. And I go, oh, that's where that, look at the pattern throughout my life. There's this and this and this and this. As it goes through my life, I can see the same thing happening over and over and over again. What is that all about? And I asked, you know what that is? That's the 90%. The stuff I'm not normally looking at. And I go, look at it, it's really consistent there. It was here and here and here and here. And Lord, is there something you want to deal with me about? So this Thursday, I invite you, 7 o'clock. We're going to meet in the U-turn building. And we're going to make our own. We're going to go through, real simple, family tree. But then I'm just going to lead you through the first couple. Like, hey, let's get through this. Let's just get through early childhood. You'd be amazed at the stuff that happened early in your life that we forget. We'll talk about that a little bit later here. We forget about, we don't talk about, we move on. I hope you'll come because I'm going to be reading from 
the story about Billy Bixby. That's right. There's no such thing as dragons. Got to believe in dragons, folks. Got to believe in dragons. So I hope you'll come Thursday night. That's all you get of that book. Boom. Okay. Teaser. <laughs> Who's Billy Bixby, right? Okay. Uh, here, here's where I want to talk about Joseph. Joseph. We're, we're talking about Joseph here in Genesis chapter 50. You read the very end of his story, Genesis chapter 50. But where does, where does Joseph come from? Here's Joseph's family tree. This is Jacob. This is his father. Okay, Joseph's in the middle of all of this. But this, this is the, the original blended family, right? This is a blender family. I don't know what. It, it was like ninja status. Wow, right? Uh, it's great. Jacob's got four wives. And from the four wives, he's got numerous children. It's a mess. There's all kinds of crazy happening here. Jacob is a pathological liar. You can read the story. He's a striver. Jacob shows favoritism. Let me ask, how, how do you think that shows in a family? What do, you, what do you think the outcome of a parent who shows favoritism to one and rejects others? How do you think that plays out? In, and what does it produce in the lives of all? And these are just the sons, by the way. There's a bunch of daughters, unnamed daughters, in the midst of this. How, what do you think happens when... There's favoritism. What do you think when, when dad's a liar? I didn't do that. Dad, I saw you do it. I was there. I don't, I would, that never happened. And you can't, you can't argue with Jacob because he's the head of the family, right? So, so here's what happens. Joseph, in the midst of this, Joseph is, is born and raised in the midst of this. And I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what happened to Joseph because of his dad. Because of the way, watch this, because of the way Jacob carried out his responsibilities as a father. Remember what I said? To be healthy, it's supposed to be met by our biological mother and father. But he's got four moms. He's that, well, that's my mom, but that's my step, no, it's my dad's other wife and, and his other wife and his other wife. It's a mess. He, here's what Joseph walked away with. Trauma. Trauma. In, in, in the most real definition of the word. The experiences that leave this lasting effect on our life that shatter our sense of safety in the world. I'm traumatized. I don't know where safe is. This is the life of Joseph. Now, if you'll just back up to uh, chapter 37, that's where it starts. Genesis 37. Joseph is thrown into an empty well right? He's thrown into an empty well, and uh, Im imagine him yelling at the bottom of that well in the darkness, guys, come on! Don't, don't do this! Come on, you guys! They've thrown him into an empty well. He's helpless. He's out of control, and here's where the narrative begins. He's a teenager, maybe 15 years old. Ooh, terrible things happen. That's not even a practical joke. It's not practical and it's not a joke. So he's thrown into an empty well. He's, come on, you guys, guys, let me out. This isn't right. And then Simeon says, you know, I'm going to go. I'm, this wasn't a good idea. This wasn't funny, you guys. I'm going to go set him free. I'm going to pull him out of the well. By the time Simeon gets there, his other brothers have sold him into slavery. Check. <laughs> Again, trauma. He's been sold into slavery. 
So they lie to their dad. And dad says, oh, he must have been killed by an animal. Yeah, yeah, killed by an animal. Let's have a funeral. Because we can't produce a body. We sold him off into slavery. And so the one-year anniversary of his death, Jacob is mourning. Three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, Jacob is mourning. Constant mourning. In fact, here's what he says. He says, I'm going to go to my grave grieving the death of my son. Those were his words. Jacob can't get over the fact that his son was killed by a, a wild beast. And Joseph, Joseph's lost everything. Not just his family. He's lost everything. Think about those five basic needs. Go over them. Support. Nurturing. Protection. What? what? It's all gone. Joseph got none of it. He's lost all five of those basic needs being met. There's no belonging, there is no nurturing, there is no support, there is no encouragement, no protection, right? And then third trauma comes in chapter 39. Look at this. He's jailed unjustly. He's accused of rape, and so he spends 10 years in prison. What do you, tell me what the narrative is. Just put yourself here. I was thrown into a well for dead. They decided that wasn't a good idea, so they sold me into slavery, and then they told my dad that I died. And then once I was sold into slavery, as a slave, I was accused of rape and spent 10, 2, 3, 4, 10 years in prison for something I didn't even do. Story's all here. You can read about it. There is no hope that someone's going to find him now. Joseph spent 10 years in a prison, in the dungeons of a prison. But God's still working. I, I won't get into it altogether right now. But how do you survive that? How do you survive what's happening to Joseph? And like many of us, they ruined my life. Here, here's my, my sentence. What family? So what, who's your family? What, what, I don't have a family. Huh? Huh? Anybody want to go there with me? Here's the question. Who do I trust? Here's the answer, nobody. I can't trust my family. I can't even trust the owner, my owner as a slave. Didn't even listen. Your wife is crazy. I didn't do that. After all I've done for you, after everything I've done to manage your household and bring prosperity into your home, you think I would risk that by doing that with your wife? Are you kidding me? But he doesn't want to go against his wife. The whole story's here. Chapter 41, here's where it picks up. Joseph interprets a dream. He interprets a dream. He's pulled from prison by the Pharaoh, the head of all of Egypt, and he's elevated to position number two in all the land. You are in charge of everything. Watch this. I've seen what you did to Potiphar's house. That was his slave owner It was when he was a slave. I see how you brought prosperity to Potiphar. I see what you did in the prison system. Come do that for all of Egypt, and that's exactly what happens. The guy has total administration abilities. And so Pharaoh puts him second in, in charge of all of Egypt. Now watch this. Turning these pages, right, from 37, 38, right? 22 years have passed since the day he was thrown into the well. 
22 years. He hasn't seen his father in 22 years, his brothers in 22 years, and all those things have happened to him. A lot of time, in my opinion, to perfect revenge. I'm telling you, I'm like, oh boy. I've had a lot of time, 10 years in prison in my cell going, if I ever get a chance to, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I, I'm just, I know the way I'm built, but something else is happening to Joseph. I mean, at least give me just a little bit of passive aggressive behavior. I mean, just, a, just something, right? And I, and I think that actually comes out in the story. You, you can read it again when you want, but I want them in jail so they can see what it feels, they can feel what it feels like, what I felt like. So he hides the cup. There's, it's a great story. But here's me, right? Joseph, bitter, party of one. Oh, there you are, right? I'm, this is Joseph, man. I don't know how he got out of there. But I'll tell you what, my family, here, here's what he's saying. My family have no impact on me. That, that, that part of my life, that section of my life, when I was 15 and younger, that's done. In fact, he named his first son Manasseh, which means to forget. His firstborn son is called Manasseh. Imagine every time, hey, come here to forget. I'm forgetting what my childhood was. This is my new life. All of this makes me realize that my family iceberg ain't so bad. <laughs> I read the story of Joseph and I go, whew, I had it easy. My family was amazing compared to this mess, this blended family, right? It's easy for us to hate and ignore our past as we get older, but, but the effect on us and our family is much deeper and more profound than we can imagine. Uh, the genogram... It's not about digging up and trashing our parents. That's, that's not what we're trying to do. It's, it's about raising an awareness to the negative aspects and patterns of our family so that we can live free. I want to recognize where I've been so I don't go back there again. I want to recognize where I got lost so I know where I was and I make sure I don't make those wrong turns again. That's what we're trying to get to. It's not about mudslinging. Now, some people have begun that process. And I say, hey, to you, let's go. Let's keep going, right? You, have, you haven't begun it, but I want to encourage you, come, come with me. Uh, other people have started the process, and it got painful, and we go, okay, that's enough. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Please come with me. S some people haven't started. I'm asking, please come with me. Some people got started, got too painful. I couldn't medicate enough, so I just backed off of it because I don't like dealing with this. I don't like talking about it. I, I don't want to be there. A few began, and this is where I think most of us fall into this category. We begin, and then as soon as we start feeling better, we back off. Okay, good. Now, now we're all done. But you know the rule about antibiotics, right? Take the whole course. <laughs> right? It's like I start third day of antibiotics. I'm great. I don't need it anymore. No, you're great because you're doing that. Keep doing that, and then you'll get totally healthy, right? How did Joseph go from all of this, 37 and on, to chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. How, how did he go forward? How, did he, how, was, how was trust released in him again? How did he learn to trust God? 
He had, he had a connection. He had a connection with God. There was a connection that he's making in the prison. He discerned and learned. Here it is. You can fill this one in. God intends good in, through, and listen to me, in spite of our family and our past. I don't know where you've been. I don't know about what you've been up to, but I'm telling you, God intends good. God has good things for us. Now, if you read chapter 2 this week, I hope you did. I hope you'll stay up on your reading. We're only reading a chapter a week, so it's, it's really not bad. It's usually less than 30 pages, 20-plus pages a week, and you do a couple pages a day, you're done. It's really easy. But this, this week I read about Chuck Yeager breaking the sound barrier. Anybody read the story? Chuck Yeager, it was a really good story about, oh, what do we do? Well, this here, this is Roger Bannister. Some of you may not know Roger Bannister. Some of you may go, I think I've heard that name before. Roger Bannister, in 1954, became the first man to break the, and I quote, once thought impossible, if not fatal, four-minute mile. The first person to break the four-minute mile, he was told, no one can break the four-minute mile. Your heart will bust. Your heart will explode. You can't run that fast. No one can run fast enough to break a four-minute mile. You will die. And Roger Bannister broke it in 1954. He broke the four-minute mile. Ready? And, and nobody could break it. No, over and over and over. And he got the finish line. <laughs> and they're all, is he going to die? Is he going to die? Is he going to die? Because we know four-minute mile is impossible, and you will die. Your heart can't sustain that kind of pressure. His world record lasted 46 days, and somebody else broke his record. 30 days later, somebody broke his record. 10 days later, somebody broke his record. One after another. Once people figured out it could be done, everybody started doing it. Wait, you can break the four-minute mile and not die? I can break the four-minute mile. And so can I, and so can I, and so can I. And it just went through. Boom, 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 boom. In November of 2005, a bunch of uh, sports experts were all interviewed and said that Roger Bannister breaking the four-minute mile was the single greatest athletic achievement of all time. Why? Why? Because he proved for all the world to see it could be done. What people say is impossible could be done. Some of you know the Fosbury flop. You can't jump that high. You can if you go over it backwards. Well, you can't go over it backwards. Show me that in the rule book. And so he came, instead of approaching the high jump forward, lifting his legs forward, he said, I'm going to jump and flop over it backwards. The flop, the Fosbury flop. And today, higher and higher and higher and higher because they approached it differently. Beloved, Jesus died. Jesus rose again to prove that we could break the barrier. That what we think will cause death. If I don't do that, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what to do if I'm not doing that. He breaks the barrier to blessing. What once thought impossible, if not fatal, addiction, behavior, or brokenness 
would you like to break through? Jesus said, I broke the barrier of death. If you can break death, you can do anything. So I don't know what it is. I don't know what kind of addiction. I don't know what kind of ongoing behavior. But, I, but I've struggled since I was... I, one of my earliest memories is that. This is all, this is all I know. And today, we, we champion the song, Born That Way. It's all I've ever known is this thing in my life. And I hate it. And Jesus said... You want to break it? We could break that barrier. Listen to what I just said. We could break that barrier. So, here's the reading for this week. Chapter 3, 20 some odd pages, okay, 71 to 96. We're reading chapter 3, figuring out how to be spiritually mature and emotionally mature. We want to do both, right? And then, uh, and then uh, so we've got, we've got that. I encourage you for the reading this week, just read Joseph's story. It's, it's just a story. It's just a few pages long, 37, 38, and then it picks up again in 48, 49. Just read the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And here's some questions for us. We're going to turn these rows into circles. What's your takeaway? What stood out to you? I'm up here doing my thing. What, what did you go, oh. And then here's one for you. These are all in the app, by the way. How would you describe the family atmosphere you grew up in? And don't, don't, don't give the stories. We don't have time for the stories. Try and figure just a word or two. It was, firming, compla- uh, confer- it was affirming, complaining, critical, approachable, angry, tense, cooperative, competitive, close, distant. Just think of a word, maybe a couple words. To My family growing up was really... Not, well, I remember when I was four years old, my father came home and... T- don't do that. And listen, if the person across from you starts, just go, Pastor Marty said not to do that. <laughs> How might you have responded if you were in Joseph's position? If you were in Joseph's sandals, what would have been coming out of your mouth when you see your brothers and sisters? Okay. Okay.